Man, that was awesome. Thanks for the way that you have been singing today, for the way that you have been encouraging those who are around you. Um, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if you are excited about the fact that time is about to change. I don't know if you're looking forward to that or not, but next week, you know, we saw in our EB info that, hey, we're going to be rolling the clocks back. That means some of you will be here on time. That's going to be awesome, right? Uh, we're looking forward to seeing some of you at times we've never seen you before next week. And so we're really looking forward to that. We're going to have Watts. It's going to be awesome. If you're new to East Brainerd, if you've never been here before, and you're like, what in the world is Watts Sunday? It stands for We Are the Sermon. And back in our lobby, there are multiple tables, and they have multiple clipboards. And those clipboards are filled with multiple opportunities for service here in the Chattanooga area. And what we do once a month, we get together as a church congregation and family, and we go out in Chattanooga, and we work in different ways and serve in different ways in different locations and it's just a great way of being a reminder of how we should be all the time here um, and how we should be living each and every day no matter where we are and so look if you're new and I'm just going to give you a heads up if you're new and you've never been here before on that Sunday uh, next Sunday is not a shirt and tie Sunday all right Next Sunday are overalls, next Sunday are work clothes, next Sunday is something that you want to get dirty in because we are going to be coming, sharing communion with one another and then spreading out all over town for these opportunities of service. If you have never signed up, if you're not signed up so far, please go out to the tables outside when you are leaving. Look at the different projects. Some are still in need of a leader. Maybe the Spirit will move you to sign up to be a leader today. I don't know. But you'll have the opportunity to sign up to be a leader for one of these groups if you'd like to. You can sign up to participate and we would love to be able to have you join us next week you say do I have to be part of the East Brainerd family here to participate no we want you to help us serve those who are here in Chattanooga and so even if you are a guest perhaps today and say you know what I just want to come back next week and work come on we'll let you can I be a leader sure you got a shovel you got a leaf blower you got a ladder whatever you just come and you bring it because it is going to be a great opportunity for us to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus and so we want you to want you to be a part of that thank you so much Nathan Brown helping to coordinate this put all this together and that is going to be next Sunday so please go out and and sign up and, and I hope you can tell that I'm excited about this I really am. I'm excited. It's one of our favorite times that we, uh, that we have all year. And I'm excited because there's sometimes I get excited and I'm not supposed to be. All right? Have you ever gotten excited and you realize that nobody else around you was excited? It normally happens, you know, during communion or at a funeral, somewhere where you're not supposed to, you know, get excited. Something's not supposed to happen that that's, you, you laugh or you, you just burst out loud in cheers and it happens. It happened to me at a soccer game. It happened to me at a soccer game. It was an indoor soccer game. Now, I don't understand a lot about soccer. I'm not a soccer guy. I'll just go ahead and, and admit it. But there were some of our uh, young ladies, part of our EB Church family here, who were playing soccer. And so I went with my family to, to support them. And, and there we were watching this soccer game go on. And, and one of our young ladies scored. And, and so I stood up there in the stands and, Woo! All right! And nobody else stood up and cheered. Nobody. And I, I looked around and I thought, I, I knew this was a communist sport. I knew it. I knew that was, that was what it was. 
It, it's one of those gateway sports that leads to other things that you don't need to be involved in. And I was like, I, why don't we just go to a football game where people know how to act? And someone took me aside and said, indoor soccer, we don't necessarily get all as excited as we do in outdoor soccer. Oh, okay. And so I went back and I sat down and, and I learned how to act appropriately. So nice. So nice. Good job. Good job. Uh, you know, I've actually observed the same thing many times. I have. Not among the soccer crowds, but with the church crowds. Too many times I've witnessed a message of hope and a proclamation of salvation met with polite nods and apathetic agreement. Someone catches fire catches the fire of the gospel only to have someone else come along and, and pour cold water on them and try to put out their enthusiasm and zeal. Woo-hooers are told, hey, tone it down. And prayer warriors told to refrain from doing battle in public. You know, in my 25 years of ministry, I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot that I just, I don't understand. See, a lot that makes me scratch my head, but the thing that confuses me more than any other, the thing that confuses me most of all, is that when the people of God don't seem to be excited about the message about God. I just don't get that. Because in a world that is filled with headline after headline of bad news, the people of God have good news. The people of God have good news and it should be shouted from the rooftops and it should be shared on every social media platform and proclaimed in every office and school and home and place of worship. It's a message of hope and it's a message of salvation and it's a message of celebration. And so today as we close out our, our series on good news, I want to share this message with you in the most simplest of terms that I can. In hopes perhaps of causing you to celebrate. I want you to join me in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the fact that you desire to pour out your salvation upon us. You would not allow your creation to be lost. And so you sent your son, Jesus, you made the ultimate sacrifice, and Father, you went further than anyone could ever imagine. And then with power that we cannot fathom, you allowed for your son to walk out of the tomb, declaring once and for all that good news was present that good news was available, that good news lived. It's a message that has been shared now for centuries. It's a message that has, that has changed lives, it's changed neighborhoods. Father, it's, it's changed countries. And Father, we truly believe it is a message that still has impact today. We live in a time of a lot of bad news. A lot of things that discourage us, a lot of things that get us down, a lot of things that make us wonder who is... Who's even watching what's going on? Father, help, help us to remember. 
Help us to remember the Help us to remember the fact that we are not alone. That you are with us. Father, that in Jesus Christ we have a message. A message that can tear down walls, that can go through barriers. A message that can build bridges. It's a message that, that changes families. It's a message that can heal marriages. It's a message that can restore hope. It's a message that can truly change lives. Father, fill us with enthusiasm, fill us with excitement, fill us with celebration. Because people matter to you. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. And that's where I want us to start this morning. I want us to start with this idea that perhaps is, is one that you say, yeah, I understand that, I get it. But do you truly believe that people matter to God? That those of us who have been in church for a long time, I know we, myself included, we get very good at affirming a statement like this, and then for whatever reason, it just doesn't always make an impact in our daily life. We agree with it, but we don't own it. We tuck it into our minds right there with other biblical facts. David was a king. Check. Moses, part of the Red Sea. Check. Ruth was a Moabite. Check. People matter to God. Check. And we nod our head in some kind of intellectual approval, but yet our heart is not moved by it as we move on to other topics. But there is good news. Good news, people matter to God. And the question is, do we believe this to the very core of our being? Because if we do, it will impact the way that we treat those that mistreat us and the way that we interact with those who are different from us. It will influence how we treat the outsider and the insider. It will impact how we spend our time and, and also how we spend our money. Our calendars will show how we use our time and energy trying to reach people who are not a part of the family of God and our bank accounts. Well, our bank accounts are going to show how we are investing in resources that daily touch the lives of those on the margins. And these are investments that flow out of a heart that genuinely says, you know what? People matter to God and people matter to me too. You know, like our Father, I think we need to see every person. Every person is someone who is created in His image and who is loved by Him. It doesn't matter how old they are, what color they are, what country they come from, how much money they have, what school they went to, what jobs they have held, or even how flagrant their sins are. They have a great value in God's eyes. Minister and author Bill Hybels puts it in practical terms when he says, you and I, we have never locked eyes with anyone who doesn't matter to the Father. And so you say, well, no wonder. No wonder Jesus ate with the religious and the sinful. No wonder he spoke to women and outcasts. No wonder he welcomed in children. No wonder he was empathetic to those who were harassed and helpless and, well, he was sympathetic to those who were doubting and confused. No wonder he reached out and he, he touched the lepers and the blind. No wonder he cried with those who were grieving and celebrated with those who were joyful. Jesus understood that people, all people, matter to God. It was his life's mission to share and to, to demonstrate this truth with as many people as possible. And those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, it then becomes our mission to go and try to share this exact same message with as many people as we come in contact with. 
See, Jesus told a parable about what the kingdom was like in Luke chapter 14. And he said, it's like this master waiting for people to come to a banquet that he has prepared. And he has sent out invitations, but the people say no. And so he goes to the servant and he said, look, people aren't coming. So I want you to go, and, and I want you to go out to the roads and the country lanes. I want you to go everywhere, and I want you to encourage people to come to my house. Because my house will be filled. You know, God has never said, God has never said that there are enough in his house. God's never said there's enough. Have you ever thought in your mind that there is a certain number, there's a certain size of our EB family that's enough? That when we get to that point, you know what? It's just too much. It's just too big. There's just too many things, too many people. There's just too many moving parts. Friends, God wants a full house. And it is up to us. It is up to our ministries. It is up to our individual families. It is up to us as individuals to see that that house is filled. He said, well, it sounds like you're just talking a lot about numbers. Well, I am. Because churches that claim they are not into numbers need to know one thing. God is. God is. God counts people. And he counts them for one reason. Because people count. In the book of Acts, as soon as Peter invites listeners to place themselves under God's kingdom rule, you begin to read about how many people accepted the offer. And throughout Acts, the numbers of those signing up to the kingdom are given. And he said, well, why? Why does it talk about the 3,000 here and, and these thousand? How it's growing? It is because people matter to God. Every single individual is an eternal soul that will either spend eternity with God or separated from him. So people matter. And, and I've heard some people before who have said, you know what? I, I just don't know if I believe in big churches. Well, fine. Then go be a part of a small church. But when that church gets to a certain size, then you go and, and start another church, and then another church, and then another. And you just keep starting churches so that more people can be saved. I heard a study one time that said a church of 1,000 will go twice as fast as 10 churches of 100. Because larger churches can oftentimes more effectively and efficiently leverage their resources. So whether you want to be a part of a big church or, or a small church, just make sure that the church has a plan to introduce more people to Christ. Here we are with a membership of just over a thousand, and yet I met a couple here today who here on their honeymoon, and, and they're a part of a congregation that on, on good days they said they've got about 120, uh, 125. Well, praise God for that 125. And for the work that they're doing there in that community. It doesn't matter big or small. What matters is the people. And that you've got individuals who understand that people matter to God. And I've talked about it already in this series, but I want to say it again. Our church has an agenda. Our church has an agenda. And I'll tell you what it is. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. That's our agenda. And friends, if your church doesn't have an agenda to see more lives changed by the good news of Jesus Christ, then you need to find a new church. You need to find a new church. You need to find another group of people to be with if the agenda is not to get more people connected, to move people closer in their relationship with God. Do you remember the end of the movie Schindler's List? 
Oscar Schindler had saved 1,100 Jews from death by being able to, to move them to a working role instead of being deported to prison camps. And at the end of the movie, he sees all of these different faces and he begins to break down and he looks at his car. And he looks at his car and he says, this car, if I had sold this car, I could have saved 10 more lives. He looks at his pen and he says, this pen's made of gold. And it could have, it could have saved two more lives if I would just have sold it. And what he realizes at the end is that they were not just numbers. Numbers are people. And people have stories. And people have histories. And people have eternities. And so we will count people as long as God says that people count. Because people matter to God. And that's good news. But here's some bad news. People lose their way. People lose their way. And no one goes out and gets lost on purpose. No one says, Siri, can you get me lost? Doesn't happen that way. But we get preoccupied, or maybe it's because of the carelessness of another, or, or maybe it's a miscalculation that we made. You know, sheep have an intrinsic tendency to, to wander. The sheep nibbles on a little bit of grass here and a little bit of grass there, and and just keeps on nibbling and just goes to the next full tuft of grass. Until all of a sudden the sheep looks around and the sheep is no longer with the rest of the herd. And, and now it is, it is away and it is, it is lost. And the Bible says that all of us, we all like sheep have gone astray. And each one of us has turned off to our own way. We've nibbled here, we've nibbled there, and we've done the things that we wanted to do in the way that we wanted to do them. But yet something happens. Something happens the longer a sheep is away from the shepherd. Something that a sheep named Shrek learned firsthand. Shrek was a merino breed of sheep living in South Island, New Zealand. Yeah, that's Shrek. And in 2004, Shrek escaped from the herd. And for six years lived on his own in local caves. And now his particular breed of sheep does not shed wool each year like many other breeds do. And so during this time, his fleece just continued to grow without anyone there to shear it. And finally, when he was found and shaved, his fleece actually weighed 60 pounds. 60 pounds. Where the average sheep just has about 10 pounds at most. Shrek carried six times the regular weight simply because that he had wandered away from his shepherd. He was found in 2010, and finally when he was found, he was sheared, and it was broadcast in New Zealand on national television for everybody to witness. Shrek the sheep has been found, right? And everybody got to watch, and everybody got to celebrate. But we're not all that different from Shrek. The longer we're away from our shepherd, the uglier we get. The more we wander from God's paths, the more weight we begin to accumulate in our life. The more weight that we begin to bear. We aren't weighed down by wool, but we are burdened with baggage. I mean, haven't you known yourself every once in a while to be weighted down? A suitcase of guilt, a sack of discouragement. You drape a duffel bag full of weariness on your shoulder. A, sack, a satchel of grief on the other side of you. 
You add then onto that a backpack of doubt, an overnight bag of loneliness, and, and then there's that trunk full of fear that you oftentimes carry around with you. And then there's the heaviest baggage of all, and that's your sin. We carry this Samsonite suitcase full of hatred and, and pride and, and jealousy and anger and selfishness and lust. And, and pretty soon, the more and more luggage that we begin to, to have, the more and more luggage that we put on, it looks like that we're a baggage carousel. And no wonder we're tired. No wonder we're worn out. I mean, bearing all those burdens, carrying around all of that wool, it's a hard job. Any wonder why we marvel at the words of Christ when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. You know, when Shrek was found, a professional sheep shearer took, took care of Shrek's fleece in 28 minutes. He was gone for six years. And in 28 minutes, the 60-pound burden was finally removed. As our shepherd, Jesus, offers to do the same to us, to bear our burdens. It happens like that. Lifetimes spent wandering in the wrong direction can be changed in an instant. Weeks and months and years of just accumulating luggage and baggage can be what well, can all be laid down like that. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And scripture says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, people lose their way. But good news, just like Shrek, people can be rescued. And that's great for all of you lost sheep that are in the room today. All of you who have that baggage, all of you who are beginning to look a little woolly. You know, it shouldn't surprise you to discover that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen when Jesus taught. Now, this didn't go over that well with the religious elite, and they couldn't believe that, man, this guy, he welcomes sinners, and he even goes and eats with them. The religious at the time had no doubt that people could lose their way, and they were really quick to point out all who had lost their way. Oh, they knew who were farthest from God. The sexually immoral, the robbers, the murderers, the tax collectors. The religious knew who was in and they knew who was out. They knew who God was for and who God was against. They knew who had God's grace and who they felt were under his judgment. There was a God of we and a God of they and the elite knew the difference. And make no mistake about it. The tax collectors, the sinners, they knew where they stood in the eyes of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were the outsiders. And did not belong in the elite club and with the righteous. People who were lost didn't matter. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Your purity has been taken. You've lied or maybe you've cheated. The choices that you've made disappointed your parents. You've disappointed your family and friends. You've been drunk. You've been stoned. And you've enjoyed both. You've hoarded your money. You've bowed down and worshipped at the altar of materialism with total abandon. Your marriage is history. Your current relationship is not God-honoring. You've lost your way. And perhaps you've crossed paths with church people who made you feel as if you did not matter. They're your co-workers. They're the parents at your kid's school. They're part of your own family. 
Maybe they're even part of this church. If you've ever felt marginalized, if you have ever felt dismissed, if you have ever felt ostracized, then do I have some good news for you. Jesus said, I have come, get this, I have come to seek and to save the lost. That's what he said. And guess what? This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the law complain that he was associating with sinful people. He was even eating with them, sharing meals. And so Jesus got them all together and he told them a story. He says, suppose a man has a hundred sheep. Suppose a man has a hundred sheep and he looks around one day and Shrek's missing. He looks around and he calls for Shrek and Shrek does not answer. Well, what does he do? Jesus says, well, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go in search for the one that was lost until he finds it? Guys, I know it sounds cliche. And it's something that I expect, you expect to hear whenever you come to church. But I cannot impress on you enough how true this next statement is. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus loves you. And he will go to the ends of the earth or just to the cross to prove it to you. Jesus loves you. You are the apple of his eye. You're the ice in his sweet tea. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be inside. Jesus entered our world in search of your soul. And he chose the nails and the cross to win your heart. And love compelled him to look for what was lost. Logic says you stay with the 99. Stay with the ones that you have. Be happy with what you already have right here, close to you. It's only one sheep after all. As Mr. Spock put it in Star Trek, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. That's what logic says. But love says otherwise. You see, Jesus could have had a million sheep. He could have had a thousand sheep. And he still would have gone after the one. Because that's what love does. Jesus doesn't love populations. He loves people. He doesn't love multitudes. He loves men and women. As St. Augustine put it, he loves each one of us as if there was only one of us. And what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do when he finds a man or he finds a woman who has lost their way? Well, he will joyfully carry him or her home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Woohoo! The lost have been found. I have found the one that I have been searching for. I want you to try to picture it in your mind. Yourself carried on the very shoulders of Jesus. And I want you to picture the party that is going on in your honor. Because Jesus said there is joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God. That is good news. That is something to be excited about. That is something to share. That is something to shout. That is something. And that is something that should move us to go as far as we can go. in order to share that message 
with the people that God loves. You see, the church, above all, is intended to be a place of good news. Good news. And you hear enough bad news at work, don't you? You get enough bad news when you go to your classes at school and you find out that your test only has three questions on it. You get enough bad news when you go home and have to deal with the arguing and the fighting. The church is intended to be a place of good news. It brings forgiven sinners from every culture, nationality, and gender together with the aim of equipping them to dispense grace to others. But before you and I can share grace, we must accept grace. Before we can go out and tell the good news, we must believe the good news. People matter to God. But people lose their way. But good news, people can be rescued. We can be rescued from our choices. We can be rescued from our addictions. We can be rescued from our selfishness. We can be rescued from our passions and lust. We can be rescued from our racism and our bigotry. We can be rescued from our anger and our hate. We can be rescued from our doubts and insecurities, from our legalism and our judgmentalism. We can be rescued from all of our endless wanderings. The good shepherd has come looking for you. Don't run. Don't run from him, run to him. Place your trust in him. That's what the Bible talks about as being belief. Submit to his instructions and leading. Churches talk about the idea of repentance, but that's all it's talking about. Turning around and submitting to God. And let him wash your wounds. What happens every time someone is baptized. And then go off and enjoy the celebration. Enjoy the celebration. You be the woohooer. You be the one that stands up in the middle of work and woo! All right, layoffs this week. Man, that is great. And people look around and say, you're crazy. Why are you happy about that? Because people matter to God. And so I'm happy about it. And your football team loses. And last night, Auburn did. And then I had to sit down and finish and make a few changes on my lesson. <laughs> and I had to sit here and think, man, we lost. But woo! People matter to God. And you're going to go and you're going to be at the doctor this week and you're going to get some news perhaps that you did not want to hear. And that doctor's going to look you in the eyes and say, look, I've got some bad news. You're going to go, whoo! Wait a minute, I haven't told you what it is. doesn't matter. I matter to God. That's what, that's what matters. You celebrate because you know the good news. You know how the story ends. It's why Jesus traveled throughout the, the region of Galilee teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news of the kingdom. He went around and he said, the time has come. The time is here. Right here. Right now, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so I want to ask you, are you running from or to God today? Are you running from him or are you running to him? Have you placed your trust in God? Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ as being the one who died so that you could live? 
Have you said, you know what, I am going to repent. I'm going to follow the instructions and the leadership of Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. That's the kind of person that I'm going to be. That's the way that I'm going to live my life. And have you been baptized into Christ yet? Have you allowed him to wash your wounds? Have you allowed him to, to shave away all of that wool to release you from all of that baggage? Friends, you've heard enough bad news. Will you believe the good news today? God's kingdom is here. There is good news. Jesus is alive and there is life in Christ. And so I stand here before you and go, Woo! People matter to God. And people are going to go and lose their way. But good news, people can be rescued. And if you need to be rescued this morning, then please, will you come to a God who is mighty to save as we stand and give him praise?